You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me pray a word of uh, blessing over the Word. Father, Lord, as I've just read this passage in our midst, Lord, I pray that I pray that our ears would be open to hear what what you would say to us through your word. I pray, God, that our hearts would be tender and sensitive and even desiring to hear from you. Lord, there are, it seems that there, there are a ton of, of instructions packed into these short 17 verses. It would be easy for us to maybe feel overwhelmed, maybe in these moments. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us just a fresh sense of freedom to hear from you. And I pray, God, that you would give us your spirit so that we might have understanding. So, God, I pray that you would do those things. pray that you would bless your word as I preach. I pray, God, that you would take the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, God, and that you would cause them um, to be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer, and we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. These 17 verses that I've just read um, is basically one of the hallmarks of the Apostle Paul's theology regarding the Christian life. In these 17 verses that we've just read through, what we basically have is a, a treasure trove of practical theology of what it means to be a new person in Christ Jesus. Just stop for a minute. And in your mind, I want you just to think and ask yourself what you think it means to be a Christian. What do you think it means to be a Christian? And then what I want you to do, what I want us to do over the next few moments that we have together with the Scriptures open, is I want us to submit what we think it means to be a Christian to what the Lord actually says through the Apostle Paul in these 
17 verses. Paul writes this letter called Colossians to uh, a little church. Um, the Colossian church. Uh, it was a church in a little town called Colossae. And the church was planted indirectly, not directly, but more indirectly, uh, through the Apostle Paul's preaching and church planting ministry in Ephesus. So in, in, in a large region, you had Ephesus, and then you had Colossae, and you had a number of other small provinces, so to speak. And as the Apostle Paul spent his time in Ephesus preaching and teaching and planting the Ephesian church, there were believers from Colossae that came over to check out what was going on. And indirectly, a church began in Colossae, and that's where we get the Colossian church. And most scholars believe that the Colossian church was being pastored by two of the Apostle Paul's uh, good friends. If you read through the New Testament scriptures, specifically the writings of Paul, you'll find that he mentions um, these other two dudes a, a few times. Uh, these two guys, strange names, Epaphras and Philemon. In fact, there's a book called Philemon in the Bible. It's the Apostle Paul writing to Philemon. Most people believe that the Colossian church was pastored by these two men who had come and visited Paul in Ephesus and they had gone back and started a Bible study in their home which then sprouted into a church. And it's believed that the, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to the Colossians, what he's doing is he's writing this letter to them to simply correct and combat something that was known as the Colossian heresy. Now that big word, heresy, um, heretic is driven out of that word heresy. It's simply uh, at its base meaning, heresy simply means to, uh, to stretch the truth. Um, at its furthest end, it means to blatantly lie. It's to take something and to put it forward as true when it is not. And so when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Colossians, to the Colossian church, he did so primarily because Epaphras and Philemon had written the Apostle Paul a letter and said, hey, we've got an issue going on here in Colossae that we need some help with. And it was called the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy in its most simplistic form, without getting into too many details, but just to give you guys a bit of an idea of why the Apostle Paul writes what he writes here. The, the Colossian uh, heresy in its most simple form is basically the teaching that Christ is not enough for you. That would be the base of what was being taught in Colossae. Uh, the, the, the idea uh, is that Christ would not be enough to complete you or to bring wholeness to you or to bring uh, satisfaction for you and that there is actually higher knowledge to be learned and to know uh, that, that, that is actually superior um, to Christ himself and this is called gnosticism that's this the, the the colossian heresy was driven out of a group of people that were known as gnostics uh, the, the word gnostic um, comes out of a greek word gnosis which means to know um, and, and so that's kind of where we get that word. And basically, basically what the Gnostics in Colossae at this time were teaching and preaching was that there was simply a higher knowledge that trumped the knowledge of Christ. There was a higher knowledge than, than the high knowledge of Christ himself, what he came to do, his life, his death, his resurrection, the power of the gospel for our lives. The Gnostics were teaching and preaching that um, there was a higher knowledge to be learned and to know. Uh, maybe to make this more plain, um, uh, maybe, be, maybe you'd say it this way, there was, like a, there was a new church in Colossae, right? New believers, people who had never heard the gospel before. They were hearing the gospel. They were coming to trust in Christ. They were beginning to repent of their sin. Uh, they, they were, their, their lives were beginning to be transformed. And then in the midst of this, in the midst of all these new believers that were in this young church they had sprouted, these young believers who were trying to live their new lives in Christ, basically from within that community, 
some really smart and knowledgeable people rose up and basically said, hey, yeah, this whole Jesus thing is kind of good. This whole Jesus thing is kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. But, but let me tell you what, what, what I know that, that you really need to know that you don't know because there are things which are much higher and better and more supreme than Christ. And, and these new believers in the Colossian church were kind of getting rocked with this. Like, oh, wow, well, we, we, we heard about Jesus and then now we're hearing about all these other things um, which would transform and change our lives. What do we do? What, 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 do, what do we do? How does this all connect together? So the Apostle Paul writes to correct this issue that's taking place. This was the Colossian heresy. It's not, not too different from the heresies that we hear today. Not, not too different from the false gospels and the false teachings that we face every day. We are bombarded daily with heretical messages, truth stretched. Somebody telling you and I that Christ is not enough for us, that we need something else, that we need to learn more, or that we need to add things to our lives to become complete. Every day we face that type of heresy. Call it the new shiny thing, is what I like to call it. The next new shiny thing that's going to make my life better. The next new shiny thing that's going to make me feel whole and complete. For those of you that have struggled with addiction, it's the next new drug you can get, right? For those of you that have struggled in relationships, it's the next relationship you can jump into that's going to make you whole and complete and feel better about yourself. This is the heresy that was being taught then, and we still face it today. Every time I see a commercial on TV with a, a big dude with a big beard and a big fat truck with uh, four doors and usually diesel, sometimes a dually, usually jet black or coal black, um, every time I see that, and then uh, I, I begin to think, man, my life would be so much better if I just had a brand new truck. I just, I, I'm just certain that it would get better if I had a brand new truck. This is, uh, this is with something we struggle with every single day. There will always be voices that seek to trump the voice of God. Always. You and I will not get away from those voices until we're standing in heaven. That's the reality. There will always be messages that claim to be superior to the message of Christ. Paul's answer to that ancient heresy as he writes this is to simply tell us that a Christian is someone who is a new person. A Christian is someone with a new person, with a new mindset, who puts off the old person. A Christian is a new person with a new mindset who puts off the old person. Verses 1-4, through four, Paul teaches us that the new person has a new mindset. If you're outlining, I'm going to do my best to give you the points as we rock through them. Point 1, a new person, a Christian, is someone with a new mindset. Andre will think this is funny. We recently added a third dog to our family. Uh, named Hero. Hero is a 13-month-old purebred, right? Uh, purebred uh, Siberian Husky. Um, so 13 months old. He has not been neutered yet. <laughs> so, he's, uh, so he's kind of a riot. Now besides Hero, <coughs> uh, we have Marley. <coughs> Marley, who is a 13-month-old female ankle biter, mutt, I'm laying it on because Marley is face dog, and uh, and since I'm on stage, I get to talk crap about Marley, and uh, Faith might come up here and kick me. Um, uh, but but <laughs> Marley has more energy um, than a cracked out gerbil. Okay. Um, that's just, I don't know how else to say it. I think it kind of makes sense. She's got more energy than a cracked out gerbil. Um, uh, we've got Max. Max is about five years old. Um, he's uh, he's, a, he's a, a miniature pincher. There's, there's a few other breeds in there too, but miniature pincher is the one I remember the most. And Max basically loves to spend his days napping and then eating and then napping some more. 
and then eating some more. This, this is Max's day. And so when you interrupt Max's day, um, he gets really grumpy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell. And so, and so hopefully, hopefully you're tracking me. We've got, we've got two dogs, right? Little white ankle biter, yay tall. Way too much energy. And then we've got little Max, who's basically a grumpy old man because we keep um, interrupting his day. And then we add to the mix the Siberian Husky named uh, Hero, who, uh, truth be told, if, if, I had, if, I had, if it was my choice, I, I would lose the other two dogs and just keep the Siberian Husky because I'm a Husky lover. And uh, Faith would kill me, though, and so uh, I, I want to continue living. And, and so, uh, and so we, we've not done that yet. Um, Ma Max, was, Max was such a grumpy old man the night that we got um, Hero that Max literally walked over, lifted his leg, and pissed on my foot. Okay. Um, I, I didn't realize that he was doing this until I felt the warmth. So, uh, so, so, so we've got three dogs, right? And and uh, and Marley's not fixed either, uh, and, and neither is Hero. So you've got large Hero, you've got you've got small Marley. Uh, one track mind on Hero. Um, as a young 13-year-old, 13-month-old uh, um, stallion that he believes that he is, his one-track mind is chasing Marley around the house and trying to make babies. And, uh, and Marley's one-track mind is just bouncing around the place and yapping at everybody, and Max's one-track mind is simply to get grumpy and bite people and piss on you, I guess. Um, it's kind of the other piece. And, and the reality with all three of them over the last week that I've been trying to do most of my work with all three of those crazy mutts has been trying to get them to get their mind set differently. Trying to give them a new mindset. Um, it's a hard thing to do with dogs. <laughs> um, it's just a difficult thing to do. Um, Max, who uh, basically thinks he needs to jump in and pick fights with Hero all day long um, because of his uh, grumpiness, needs to get a new mindset that it's okay to just chill out and relax a little bit. Marley needs to get a, a, a little mindset that she probably needs to chill out a little bit. And, and, and so does Hero, right? Um, they need a new mindset from, from where they've been. This is really the first thing that the Apostle Paul is unpacking for us, is that this is what we need as new people in Christ Jesus, is a new mindset. Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, verses 1-4, through four, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In other words, what you and I both need is a new mindset that seeks Christ, hides in Christ, and is preserved in Christ. Three pieces of the puzzle. A new mindset that seeks Christ, hides in Christ, and is preserved in Christ. Paul says that if you are a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, if you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, then your new mind is set on seeking Christ rather than seeking the things of this earth. If you're a new person in Christ Jesus and your mind is now set in a new direction. There was a direction you were once headed before you met Christ, but now that you've met Him, you're headed in a new direction that seeks Him wholeheartedly. If you have, in fact, encountered Christ in an authentic way that has led you to trust in Jesus, then you now have a new mindset, a new mindset that is focused and preoccupied with Christ. It doesn't mean that you must constantly walk around attaching religious jargon to the end of everything you say, like, to God be the glory for everything. Um, it's good to give the Lord acknowledgement, yes. What the Apostle Paul is not saying is that every word that we speak must be somehow laced with religious 
Christianese or religious jargon. It's not the point. The point is that there is a deep inward sense that you are set. Your mind is now set on seeking and pursuing. You are preoccupied with Christ. And when anything else attempts to distract you from that, you're coming back around to seeking Christ. Doesn't mean that you can't ever give thought to just the basic practical needs of life either, like budgeting, uh, car repair, dog training. <laughs> Does mean, though, that if you've heard the gospel and trusted in Christ for salvation, then you have been given a new mind. You've been given a new mind when you trusted in Christ. And that new mind that you have been given ought to be focused and set on seeking Christ above all other pursuits. Also means that every pursuit that you give yourself to here on this earth should flow out of your new mindset of seeking Christ above all other things. The new person has a new mindset that is focused on seeking Christ. The new person also has a mindset that hides in Christ. Paul says that the reason that we have this new mindset that seeks Christ above all other pursuits is simply because if we truly have been raised with Him, then we have died in Him. Our, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, when you and I hear the gospel of our salvation, when you and I hear this message that, that informs us that our lives are broken... And that we are helpless and hopeless without Christ. When we hear that, when we hear that our sin separates us from God. And that the only way that we can be made right, whole, complete, is by trusting in the work of Christ at the cross. When we hear that message of the cross of Christ where he gave his life as a willing and perfect and, and, and innocent sacrifice for, for you and I, when we hear that and we believe that, then what happens is we no longer have to hide in our performance and our accomplishments. Let's just think about it. How far did your performance and accomplishments ever get you in the first place anyways? I mean, about every time I think I've performed well, and have accomplished exactly what I wanted to accomplish, there, there is easily something or someone standing there waiting to prove that I somehow did not meet a mark, right? And so, so our performance and our accomplishments, while they may be good, and may be good pursuits, at the end of the day, you and I can't hide in those. We can't hide in those like like Adam and Eve hid in their fig leaves. Uh, God came down, took the fig leaves away, killed animals, put skins on them. Blood was shed to cover the sin and the shame of humanity from the get-go. As a precursor to the cross of Christ. So, so here you and I are, we hear the gospel, and yet what do we usually attempt to do? Hide in our performance and our accomplishments. Well, accomplishments, I, I read the Bible today. Accomplishments. I prayed today. Accomplishments. I spoke kindly to my wife today. Accomplishments. I did not throw my kids out of the house today. Right? I mean, you can make your list of accomplishments, but as soon as you make that list, just wait. Tomorrow, you and I will both mess it up. Performance. Same thing. All of the things that you or I can do well, it's not worth hiding it. <clears throat> That's not to negate the fact that God calls us to holy and righteous living, right? It's just simply making the point that you and I cannot hide there. And the place where we need to hide 
is in the message of the gospel. The fact that Christ was crucified, that he died willingly on your part and on my part, and then he was risen three days later, powerful over death. The new person no longer has to have the mindset of hiding in religious performance. We don't have to think that somehow our religious performance day in and day out will somehow save us. Though religious performance can be good and should be an outflow of the salvation that has taken place. Oftentimes we get this backwards. We begin to think that all the good things that you and I can do can somehow earn God's love. Or that all the good things that you and I can do can somehow make Him um, notice us more. But the reality is, is there was nothing that you or I did to begin with to cause Him to love us or to cause Him to notice us. He noticed us and loved us simply because He can. His name is God. And He chooses whom He will love and whom He will notice out of His own will. You and I can't bend God's will, change God's will, make God do whatever we want. We can't do that. He's God. You and I are not. And so, and so we might be able to say those things, right? All of us may be able to look at one another and say, hey, it's not your performance. It's not, it's not your accomplishments that you should be hiding. It's not our good deeds that earn us anything with God. We can look at each other and say that, but I want you just to think for a minute deep down inside. When things frustrate you, when you feel sad or depressed, or when you feel angry about something, doesn't that really come from a misapplied sense of remembering who God is and who isn't? Doesn't that come from a misapplied sense of trying to hide somewhere where you and I should not be trying to hide? That really when you and I hide in the gospel, in the cross of Christ, in the sacrifice of Christ, in the power of Christ in the empty tomb, in the love of Christ for each of us, though we are imperfect, isn't, isn't that a much better place for us to hide? Isn't that a much better place for us to hide? The new person has a new mindset that hides in Christ. If we do this, then what we will do is continuously apply the life of Christ to our life. The cross of Christ to our life. One of my sayings over this last week, because my wife and I and our kids at home have been walking through um, doing some things in our home that has been difficult for us. So we, we let our basement get behind and, and uh, needed to be cleaned out. And this is a frustrating thing for all of us in our family. And, uh, and so one of my things that I've been learning to tell myself is, Hey, this is not that bad. I'm not carrying a cross, right? I'm not carrying a cross down a road. I'm not about to get nailed to a cross here in a couple hours. I'm not getting beaten with a whip over and over again. I'm not, I don't have a crown of thorns getting crushed on my head. It's okay for me to help my children clean their bedrooms, right? It's okay for me to do that. This is a new mindset for each of us to apply the life of Christ and the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Christ to our lives. And the reality is that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He outperformed all of us. Christ carried the cross that you and I could never carry. He was resurrected on the third day, beating the death that you and I can not beat. You and I can never beat the impending death that is coming our way. Christ beat it. This is what needs to be applied to our lives day in and day out. The new person has a new mindset that hides itself, himself or herself in Christ. Not only that, but the new person also has a mindset that will be preserved in Christ. 
Paul says that if we are new people who have the mindset of seeking Christ and hiding ourselves in Christ, then the natural outcome of this new mindset is that our lives will be preserved in Christ until He appears at the end in glory. This is, this is one of the great doctrines called union with Christ. I, I hear some say that when they study the doctrine of the union with Christ that it's boring. I, I say I, I don't understand how that could be boring because the idea of union with Christ is that you and I have been united. We've been woven into Christ himself, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his coming in glory. All these things we taste we get a part of, it's like an inheritance. It's a, it's a gift that you and I don't deserve. It's this concept of union with Christ is that you and I will gain everything that Christ has to give. And the idea behind union with Christ is that once you are united to Him in His life, death, and resurrection, you, you can't be ununited. You've been made one with Him through your trust in Him, through your faith in Him. And even that faith that you and I have, even that moment where everything goes crazy for you, whatever that moment was, and for some of you, you're here and that hasn't happened yet. And my hope is, is that it will. But that moment when like the bombshell goes off in your head and you go, holy crap, I, I, I believe in Jesus now. When that moment happens, it's the Holy Spirit doing that work. Uh, There's no manipulation that I could do as a preacher. There's no beating you over the head with a baseball bat that your friends or your spouse or your relatives could do. Only the Holy Spirit could do that work inside of your mind and inside of your heart. It's called regeneration. In that moment, your heart is made new. And the scriptures speak of the heart um, not necessarily always in the physical sense, but more in a spiritual sense in that you and I have hearts that are stone cold, rotten to the core, and, and hard-hearted, right? Black, cold, dead. These are words that are used throughout Scripture to describe the heart and the soul of a person who has not become a new person in Christ. But in that moment when you hear the gospel and you trust in Him, you're given a new heart. Your old heart of flesh, your old, your old heart of stone is taken out, tossed away, and you're given a new heart by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us in the Gospels that and the, and the Holy Spirit and goes wherever He wants to. The Holy Spirit does this work on His own without our help. <coughs> it's just like the wind. The wind blows wherever it wants. If that's you, if you've heard the gospel and you, you've trusted in Christ, then you've been given a new mind which must be set upon Christ. Not, not set upon your performance or your accomplishments. Not set on your failures either. Set on Christ and His performance and His accomplishment. And, and, and if that's where your heart is, if that's where your soul is, if that's who you are as a new person in Christ, then you will be preserved until the end. Why? Because Christ is the one who preserves you. He's the one who gives you faith. He's the one that helps you trust in Him. You and I don't muster that up. Jesus is the author of the book. Hebrews tells us that He's the author and the perfecter. Remember that, the perfecter of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. Meaning He wrote the faith on your heart that you have to trust in Him. You didn't get that on your own. Because if you did, you'd have something to boast about. You could say, I got myself saved. Well, who would need Jesus then? You wouldn't. That's why this doctrine of union with Christ and being a new creation in Christ is so good for the soul. We spend our lives trying to perform and accomplish. And Christ swoops in and says, I've done it, and I will preserve you to the end. There's no standing firm and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps that's going to preserve you till the end. 
There is no amount of gritting your teeth as hard as you can that will help you to resist the sin that is killing you from deep inside. You cannot do that. This is why the message of Christ is so good, because He alone, in His power over Satan, sin, and death, comes and is united with you, and you now have the power of Christ coursing through you. Will there be days when you will just gut it out? <laughs> yeah, right? Will there be some days where you just be like, man, this is tough. Will there be days where you'll be like, I feel like I failed all day long. You know what that moment is for you and for me? That moment for you and for I, if you've trusted in Christ, is yet another blessed moment to trust in Him yet again. It's a gift. It's a gift. Your failure, my failure in those moments, it's a gift. Why is it a gift? Because it's a time and a chance and an opportunity to say, Jesus, I still need you. I've not grown out of my little kid clothes so far that I don't need you. I still need you and I need you to preserve me until the end. This is the new person. This is the mindset of a new person. The mindset of a new person is that he or she, you or I, we will be preserved until the end. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was some sort of sin that was big enough to get your name blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life? Can you imagine if there really was like a big cosmic eraser? Like the Holy Spirit who does all this work to save you somehow made a mistake, right? He who knows everything. He who knows everything somehow forgot about that one gigantic sin that you would commit a few weeks from now and he's got to run back like a big gigantic cosmic eraser and erase you out of the book. No longer preserved. Better go say the prayer again. Better go back to church again. Better sing those worship songs a little bit louder. Better get some, better get some Bible inside of you, right? That's, that's rank heresy, isn't it? Wouldn't you think that would be the true stretched? Now, I don't want to believe a gospel that preaches that anyways because there's no preservation there. And then, and then I've got to do me so well that somehow I get in and I'm good enough, right? Can't believe that. And the new person rests in the fact that God will preserve us. God will preserve you and I until the end. And if Christ is the focus of your life now, if Christ is the focus of your life now, then He will be the focus of your life for all of eternity. If Christ is the goal of your life now, if He's the goal of your mindset now, if your mind is set on Christ now, you will share in His glory in eternity. You won't have to walk around in anxiety, wondering, fearful of that. Man, did I get tapped out today or what? No, you don't have to worry about that. All you've got to worry about is walking in a way that honors the Lord a new person has a mindset that will be preserved in Christ. As far as applying this first principle of the new mindset, you might ask yourself these kinds of questions. Of what is your mind set on today? What is it focused on? What is it set on? What is rolling through that brain of yours moment by moment throughout the day? Is your mind set on seeking Christ in everything you think, say, or do? Or are you preoccupied with the things of this earth? Preoccupied with maybe performance and accomplishment and gaining? Is your mind set on hiding yourself in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ? Or, again, are you hiding in your performance and your accomplishments and your, your false pictures of who you have projected yourself to be? Is your mind set on Christ preserving you until He appears in glory? Or is your mind set on things that are causing destruction? What is your mind set on? Because I'm convinced after studying just even these first four verses, the thing that you and I need the most as new people, as new persons, is we need a new mindset. A new mindset that seeks Christ hides in Christ, and is preserved 
in Christ. As we bounce over to verses 5 through 9, the second portion here, Paul teaches us that the new person puts off the old person. I could spend a lot of time here, and I can see that we're already 40 minutes in, but we've got time on the clock. So um, Paul teaches us that the new person puts off the old person. If there's anything I want us to hear after hearing the first portion is I really want us to hear this. This is really important. The Christian life at its core is about becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's about being restored, renewed, transformed, changed. It's a picture of an old dilapidated house maybe that's under construction or under demolition as a demolition crew comes forward and demolishes the old house so that the new house can be constructed. constructed. Or maybe it's a picture of an antique car. Those of you that love cars, picture of an antique car being pulled out of the rot and the rust and the decay of a creek bottom and then brought into the garage for total restoration. This is the picture of what Paul is teaching us right on the heels of unpacking his high theology of what it means to be a new person who has a new mindset. So first he sets things, right? First he says, get your mind set. And once your mind is set, now let's talk about taking off the old person. Once, if your mind's not set, no use going here. Get your mind set first. Once your mind is set, then you can start working towards taking off the old person that is at war deep down inside of you. For Paul, it's not enough to just merely have this high knowledge of the theology of the new mindset, but it's also vitally important to put practical teaching to what he has just laid out for us. He wants to put practical teaching towards how to keep the new mindset on seeking Christ, hiding in Christ, and staying preserved in Christ until his return. So once your mind is set, then you can begin to move into the practical things of moving away from the old person. That's why what Paul basically teaches us, verses 5 through 9, is that the new person puts off the old person by killing sin and putting away sin. The two things we're going to kind of examine over the next few moments. The new person puts off the old person by killing sin and putting away sin. Paul says, put to death, therefore, verses 5 and 6, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Woohoo, wrath of God. I don't say that to mock the wrath of God. I say that because in, in the church today, uh, we have a legitimate issue with talking about the wrath of God because we'd rather see God as this loving fairy tale. The reality about God is that He is just as much perfect in His love towards you and I as He is perfect in His hatred, anger, wrath towards you and I because of our sin. It's Christ who then steps in because of the work of the cross, the shed blood, the broken body. Christ who then steps in and, and shields, protects, absorbs, you could say, all of that wrath and anger, right? It's violent language that Paul uses here. Violent language, warfare language, graphic language that Paul is using. He's not sugarcoating things when he says this. Paul is literally saying that you must put that old sinful person that is fighting to stay alive inside of you to death. That you and I must murder that old sinful person that we used to be who is still alive and well deep with us. This is the same apostle who in Romans chapter 6 laments that I know the good things that you've asked me to do and that I want to do, God. 
And I know the bad things, the sinful things that you have said I should not do, that I do not want to do. And yet, every day what I find in myself is sin, the old person welling up from within me. And what I find myself doing is not the good that I want to do, but the bad that I don't want to do. It's not the bad that I don't want to do that I don't do. It's actually the bad that I don't want to do that I do. Sounds almost confusing, doesn't it? And go read it. Romans chapter 6. Same apostle unpacks for us his own struggle with taking off the old person and killing sin. And if you want a good, unpacked, robust theology of what it means to murder and kill sin, man, start Romans chapter 1 and work all the way through 8. And don't stop until you get through 8. Maybe even go through 9 because 9 is awesome. I just read the entire book, okay? Just read the whole book of Romans. But really, specifically, Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 9 is so fantastic as he talks about our struggle in sin and what sin really is and our warfare against God and the fact that God gave Christ for us and that now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those of you, for us who are in Christ Jesus. We live under a new banner, and that new banner is God's love. So based upon that, then Paul comes all the way back around again and just basically says, hey, put it to death. Kill it, whatever it is that's inside of you. Take that old person, that old sinful person that is still living in you, that is seeking to destroy the new person that God is attempting to build in you and slaughter that old person inside of you. This is the language he uses. Slaughter that old person inside of you that is laboring day and night within your soul to destroy you. Slaughter him. Kill him. Murder it. Cut its throat. Shoot it in the head. Take it out in the backyard and bury it dead. Thankfully. Thankfully, Paul doesn't just leave it to our imagination either. Just just kind of like wonder. what, What does that old person inside of me look like? He doesn't just leave it to the imagination so that we can all just kind of like junk drawer it and be like... Well, sin is actually, I mean, he doesn't just leave it for us to just decide what an old, simple person inside of us looks like. He actually unpacks it. This is really good of him, kind of him, right? Good of the Lord to think ahead of time that we might actually be deceitful enough to try to put our own spin on what sin is. As if you and I could actually define sin on our own, apart from the God who is perfect. Hello, right? So he has the Apostle Paul just unpack it for us. And he basically lays it out in a successive way. Is there sexual sin in you? Sexual sin is the result of impurity inside of you. Is there impurity inside of you? Impurity is the result of sinful passions. Are there sinful passions in you? Well, sinful passions are a result of evil desire. Are there evil desires inside of you? Evil desires are the result of covetousness. Covetousness is wanting what you do not have or cannot have. Do you want what you do not have or cannot have? That's idolatry. So idolatry is wanting anything more than you want God. Anything that you cannot have or do not have more than you want God. That's what a basic... Description of idolatry would be this kind of language, this this teaching that Paul lays out, this instruction sounds familiar to what Jesus taught when he said this, that if your right eye offends you, causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter heaven maimed rather than to go to hell whole. Other words, and in the same words as another preacher, I think his name is John Owen. We must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Don't don't take a passive stance to your sin. Don't make excuses about your sin. Don't play the blame game with your sin. This is how you and I take passive stance to our sin. Don't do that. Kill it. We must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. We must identify sin, call it what it is without excuse or blame, track it down to the root, lob its ugly flipping head off through regular confession, 
repentance, and application of the gospel. We must ruthlessly kill sin before it kills us. This is why I say it is vitally important that the new person puts off the old person by killing sin. Now secondly, in terms of putting off the old person, the new person puts off the old person by then putting away sin. Now at first glance, it might appear as though the Apostle Paul is just being redundant or repetitive, or that even I, as I outline point by point in this, that one of us is being a little bit redundant. Okay, so you're supposed to be killing sin, and now you're supposed to be putting away sin. I get it. You just want to beat a dead horse, right? Not necessarily. Uh, I think there's good reason for this. I don't think he's just being a dead horse. I think the reality is that the Apostle Paul is using similar uh, phraseology, similar language to basically further unpack and some of you might be saying okay that means being a dead horse no no i think further unpack from a maybe a slightly different point of view um, um, how we would put to death the old person and it's not just it's not just a picture of killing sin but it's also a picture of putting away the practices that keep us in sin I think that's the other end of the spectrum. I think that's why the Apostle Paul says it this way. It's killing sin, but it's also actively putting away like the lifestyle and the practices and the habits, the, the roads that you travel in your mind and in your heart that get you there. It's the picture of putting something to death that is basically eating you alive on the one hand, uh, while at the same time putting away the things that lead you to the things that are killing you. Paul says it this way. He says, in these two you once walked. So the Apostle Paul is making the assumption that if you are a believer, if you are in Christ, you don't walk this way anymore. That, that's, that's something that we should probably pay attention to. That's his assumption. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. Catch that. Living in them. Do you, do you live in that sin? Do you live in those sinful patterns? Can it be said that your life is characterized by sin? In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but you must put them all away. Now he lists some more. Just in case the previous list wasn't enough, he wants to make sure he gets some more. These are more deep heart issues even too, I think, kind of underlying issues. I'm not saying it's not, there's like one sin worse than the other. Don't hear that. Um, I think he's just pointing to kind of a different angle on sin. Look at this. You must put them all away. It's like putting, it's putting the dangerous object back in the drawer, right? This is the thing that's hurting you. It's killing you. It's eating you from the inside out. Let's pause for a minute and just say that I, as a pastor, I've sat with numerous people and given stern, harsh, loud, soft, gentle, patient, and impatient. I've, I've played the game all the way around. Warnings. I'm warning you. This is a warning. If you continue this way, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. Sat with many young believers professing young believers, and warned, don't live this way, don't go this way. I wouldn't say that because I would hate someone or dislike someone. I would say that because I love someone, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. I don't know the tone of his voice, because I don't know what kind of a day he was having. <laughs> but I would say this, it's sober and it's, it's definitely um, something we should pay attention to. This is not just a portion of the text that we just kind of like, oh yeah, thanks Paul, Th thanks, for, thanks for getting that out there. I'll move on to something happier, right? Now this is what he says. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Let me, let, me re, let me rephrase this in my own way. Put away the old ways you once walked. 
If you're sitting here tonight and you can't point to an old way you once walked before Christ entered your life and you trust in him, then you have something to fear. If you can look back and you can say, there is an old life that I once walked, and there's pieces of that life today that I still struggle with, and I still have to apply Christ every single day, then, then you're in good company. Needy of Christ, right? Put away the old ways that you once walked. Put, put away the old ways that you once lived. Put away your old practices. The anger that controlled your emotional responses. Put it away, he says. The rage that, that has injured people around you, put it away. The hatred for others that once consumed you, put it away. The harmful things that you have said about people behind their backs, put it away. The cursing and the, the dirty language that saturates your conversations, put it away. All your dishonest boasting, propping yourself up as a hero, put it away from you. This is your old self that has been crucified with Christ, so put it away. The new person. The new person puts off the old person by putting away sinful ways of walking, sinful ways of living, as well as sinful practices. I'm apply this last principle before wrapping things up with you. Some questions that you might ask yourself that I've found to be helpful to me as I studied through this passage. You might ask yourself this, are you, are you actively putting away the old person? Are, are you ruthlessly engaged in killing the sin that is still alive in you? And, and I'm not talking about a, a, such a harsh preconception with sin that your new mindset now becomes, I'm a poor pitiful sinner who can't get it straight, because that's not the mindset we started with. The mindset is, I belong to Christ. I am united to him in his life, his death, his resurrection. I am his, bought, paid for, signed, sealed, and delivered into the hands of my loving father. And nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. So that's your set. That's your mindset. That's your focus. So I'm not talking about a ruthless preconception with your sin that that's all you talk about. But I'm also saying that you and I cannot live in such a way that we ignore the fact that we are broken and in need of Christ. Are you ruthlessly engaged in killing the sin that is still alive in you? Are you vehemently putting away your old sinful ways of walking your old sinful ways and living your old sinful ways and practicing in the same old sinful ways? Are you putting those things to death and are you putting them away? What you and I both need is to be actively engaged in putting off the old person by killing sin and putting away sin. And so, in summary... What I've preached to you tonight, what I believe the Apostle Paul said in this passage, what I believe the Lord would say to every one of us, is that a Christian is someone who is a new person. A new person with a new mindset who puts off the old person. Does this describe the person that you are? Are you a new person? Let me pray as our music team comes forward. Father, thank you for this passage, and thank you for your word, and thank you for the, the truth of your word and the power of your word to uh, take a look deep down inside of each and every one of us. <coughs> and Lord, thank you for uh, the truth that we each have had an opportunity to come to you, to trust in you, and to become a new creation in Christ. 
Thank you for the picture of your love as our Father, as you gave your Son at that cross. Well, I just pray that if there are any here, any that are hearing this message even, that um, who, who have not met you, or who have been struggling this week to keep their minds set on who they are in you, that you would give a deep reassurance that you are preserving those whom you have bought and paid for, who have been delivered into your hands by the sacrifice of Christ. I pray that you would give a deep reassurance in that. I pray, God, too, that you would uh, convict us of sin in our lives uh, and that you would um, help us to walk uh, in, in repentance, turning away from the promise of sin and turning towards the promise of the gospel. Because we know that no matter what sin promises, we know the paycheck is death. And we know that you have promised us in the gospel to have a new life. So God, we just ask that you would help us all to walk that road. Help us continue in repentance. Help us continue to live lives that love you as new creations in Christ Jesus. But well, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we close this evening, close as usual with communion. Uh, the communion elements are here. There will be two of us near the front to serve you. You don't have to be a member of our church to receive communion here. And uh, uh, you just need to be a believer. If you trusted in Christ, then we invite you to come and receive communion with the rest of the family. If you're not a believer, if this, you're not there yet, that's, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, we hope that you get there one day. We just believe that's a work of the Spirit. And we want to give the Holy Spirit ample time to do His work in you. We don't want to rush that. And so we don't want... We don't want you to feel pressure to partake in something that, is, that doesn't have meaning for you yet. And so if that's you, stay right where you're at. It's cool. You ain't got to feel weird. You're you. You're where you're at. You're welcome. We love you. Um, the way we take communion is you come down the center aisles and we'll serve you the elements and then find your way back to your seat. As soon as we're done in communion and uh, worship, we'll have a closing word and uh, we'll let you guys get out of here. Um, Remember, don't show up here next week. Come to the Y at 10 in the morning. Get some good coffee. This should be a riot. Thanks for letting me preach. Love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.